Welcome to an all-new Chasing the Word on Compassion Radio. It's time for Chasing the Word study in the book of Haggai. We're in chapter 2 now, so I'm looking forward to getting into some interesting corners of Jewish (laughs) culture and things that we may not understand on the face of it. But even some of our listeners might be able to clue us in on some of the significance of some of the imagery and specific things that Haggai talks about in the second chapter. But first of all, let's recap together. And thanks again for joining me on this study. Hello. Thank you for having me back. I have no choice but to have you back because I would be one half short of a hole in doing this study because (laughs) the entire series for Chase of the Word has been about dialogue. You and I, hopefully modeling for others a chance to let God speak to us, Mm -hmm. you and I hearing more from God because of the voice coming through you to me Mm -hmm. and vice versa. We believe the power of the voice. That's one of the reasons why we chose the voice translation Mm -hmm. to go through some of these Old Testament prophets. I like that you use the word dialogue in that because that's exactly what this is. A dialogue is an exchange between two people that share some common beliefs, possibly, but have different opinions about things. Or could potentially have different opinions. Right. And we'll share those things and listen to those things with an open heart and mind about what the other person is thinking or feeling or what they've been led to believe. So... Dialogue is a good word to use because it's not just a conversation. It's conversational in the way we do this. Mm-hmm. But dialogue gives the message that we are listening to each other and that we are hoping to learn from each other as well. And at the very least, to be able to say, honestly, at the end of a dialogue, I understand what you're right, saying right. or what you mean. Right. It doesn't always require agreement on every oh, point. no, no. Yeah. But there have been very few points, I think, in all of our studies we've done where we felt like, you know, I'm not sure I can agree with that point. Yeah. Most of the time, we end up with an expanded perspective, Mm -hmm. which is, wow, I hadn't thought of it that way, which I think is a great discipline with people around you because it is also the way the Holy Spirit nudges us Mm -hmm. conversationally in dialogue with us in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And if we read the Word of God, not expecting to be moved or changed or challenged or maybe even confronted with our own misperceptions, we probably aren't even really approaching the Word of God. We're just kind of reading. Right. The Word of God is a voice. That's the whole point. Mm -hmm. And it's a voice we need to be heeding and not just our own thoughts on it. Well, honey, last time in Chapter 1, we talked about a lot of stuff. Almost a preamble. I I call it a ribbon cutting. It's quite clear that a whole bunch of really new stuff is going to happen in the land of Israel under new leadership, under new circumstances, under new regimes. I mean, literally, the country has been reconstituted. Mm -hmm. And Haggai is starting with a people group that we probably don't spend a lot of time thinking about. That was the remnant left behind when the others were taken off into captivity for 70 years. The cast-offs, basically. Those coming back don't have the same culture. The folks that were left in the land are probably closer to what Israel was like in language and in thoughts than those who were carried off and have a whole bunch of new ideas in their minds and hearts. Mm -hmm. New languages, even. New fashion. New everything is different for them when they come back. And a new idea of what it means to be godly and worship God. And they have a strong sense of hanging on to an image of being Israel that they want to bring back to the the old land and reconstitute that. But it really may not be like it was. There is competing and clashing cultures within Israel. Probably, yeah. And yet, at the end of chapter 1, we hear that the word of God came through Haggai and appealed to them. 
do this together. Mm-hmm. And their hearts were stirred by that. Yeah, the message somehow really got into both parties. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just an expat party coming back to do all this work. It wasn't just the people in the land that said, you need to follow our way. Mm-hmm. They agreed with the Spirit of God that we need to be something together. Mm-hmm. You and I have seen this around the world a zillion times, it seems. Every time we go to visit with the kingdom in different countries, mm-hmm. we're crossing language barriers, cultural barriers, political, economic barriers, all kinds of things. Denominational barriers. Yep. And you sit down with them and see what God is doing amongst them and realizing that I have a stake in this. Mm-hmm. Not just that I'm coming here to serve them, like on my first thought, I'm here to serve. But I'm here to receive is probably the bigger lesson we always learn. God is going to show us what he's about Mm -hmm. in this generation, in his kingdom, in so many different places. And I am a part of that, that bigger thing. Yes. Yes. I am not the thing that defines what they need to know or believe. Right. That's the big shift that happens at our hearts. That's happening with the nation of Israel as they're coming together for this grand project. And now we're into chapter two. Mm Mm-hmm. A lot of interesting imagery. So let's go ahead and just read through that chapter, and we'll discuss it for the rest of this program. Okay, so Haggai receives another message from the Eternal One in the beginning of chapter 2, and it's about a month later from what we know that's happened in chapter 1. So they've had the ribbon cutting. They're on to work now. They're getting busy. Yes. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the prophet Haggai gave another message from the Eternal. Eternal One. Ask Zerubbabel, Shealtiel's son and Judah's governor, Joshua, Jehozadak's son and the high priest, and all those who returned from exile. Are any of you still living who saw how glorious my first house was before it was destroyed more than 60 years ago? How does this current one look to you now? In comparison to the first, does this one look like nothing? Of course it does. But don't be discouraged. Be strong, Mm. Zerubbabel. Be strong, Joshua, Jehozadak's son and the high priest. Be strong, all you who once again live in the land. Keep working on it. For I, the Eternal, commander of heavenly armies, am with you. Regarding the covenant I made with you when your ancestors came out of Egypt, my spirit remains with you, living among you. Do not be afraid. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, the sea and the land. I will rattle all the nations, and all that is valuable in the eyes of the world will be willingly brought to my house. I will see to it that it is filled to the brim with my glory. You see, all the silver and all the gold in this world already belong to me. You will stand by and watch as the magnificence of this new house will eclipse the magnificence of my first house. And in this new house, I will give you peace. Mm. So says the eternal commander of heavenly armies. On the 24th day of the ninth month, so a few months later, during the second year of King Darius' reign, the prophet Haggai received a third message from the eternal one. The Eternal, commander of heavenly armies, told Haggai to ask the priests to explain what the law says about this scenario. Haggai asked them, If a person is carrying sacred meat, the meat of the sacrifices, in the fold of his garment, and that garment comes into contact with some ordinary bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, then does it transfer its sacredness to the new food? The priests answered, No. Haggai then said, What about this situation then? If a person who is ritually impure from touching a dead body touches one of these foods, does he transfer the impurity to it? 
The priest answers, Yes, it is now impure. Haggai replied, The Eternal One says this is what he sees when he looks over this people and this nation. Everything they have done and everything they have brought there as a spiritual offering is impure. Now think carefully about your choices from this point forward. Consider how things were before you even laid the first stone back on the other to rebuild the house of the Eternal One. How did it turn out for you? Were you able to do it without me? You came to scoop grain and expected twenty measures, but there were only ten. You came to draw wine from a vat and expected fifty measures, but there were only twenty. I crushed you and everything you tried to do under your own power, with scorching heat, mildew, and hail. And still you didn't turn to me. Hmm. From this day forward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, from the foundation of the Eternal One's house, think carefully and ask yourself, is there a seed left unplanted in the storage barns? No, but you must be patient. The grapevine and the fig tree, the pomegranate trees and the olive trees have not borne fruit yet. From this day on, I will bless you. That same day, the prophet Haggai received a second message from the Eternal One. Eternal One, tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. I will upend royal thrones and shatter the power of foreign kingdoms. I will crash chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will be killed in confusion and chaos, each by the sword of his countrymen. On that day, I will choose you. My servant, Zerubbabel, Shealtiel's son, this I declare, I will make you my choice as a signet ring represents the wishes of its owner because I have chosen you. So said the Eternal, Commander of Heavenly Armies. A lot of commander and a lot of heavenly armies mentioned here. Mm -hmm. Military posture. I think about how their state of mind was being affected by all this work. The addresses, it seems... The felt despair mm. of the people. They put a lot of effort in. They think they've done a lot of work. They've done more work than they probably have ever done in their lives. And it's been months long. And at the end of it, what do they have to show for it? They're probably getting whinged at by people who remember the glories of the first temple, saying, that's not good enough. That's not it. It was so much better the first time around. And those who are doing the hard work are left with this compounded guilt of, maybe God's not impressed. And my people, my family aren't impressed. Why do we even do this? Compassion Radio will continue to keep bringing you encouragement from the Word, inspiring stories from the front lines of faith, and awesome opportunities to make a difference for the kingdom around the world. But we need your help right now to continue doing just that. Please take a moment today to consider how you might help us to accomplish our unique media ministry and mission. Remember, friends, Compassion Radio is always a coalition of the willing. Are you willing to help get out God's good news stories of the kingdom really living the gospel in the 21st century? Oh, I hope so. Thank you, friends, for standing with Compassion Radio during these times of great change to our normal life. We have a very special giving opportunity for a special offering to the church in Ukraine. And I beg of you, send your best gift today to support the Christian family there. Just visit our website, CompassionRadio.com, or call our toll-free order line, 1-800-868-2478. Our mailing address is Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Reach out to us whatever way works for you. And now, back to our discussion. 
And at the end of it, what do they have to show for it? They're probably getting whinged at by people who remember the glories of the first temple, saying, that's not good enough, that's not it. It was so much better the first time around. And those who are doing the hard work are left with this compounded guilt of, maybe God's not impressed. And my people, my family aren't impressed. Why do we even do this? Well, I think about how they're trying to build this earthly temple. And yes, I think that's what God is asking them to do, to rebuild his temple in the city of Jerusalem. But it seems to go so much deeper than that to me. And it's about the temple within us. And we talked about that in the last program in chapter one, that because we don't have the temple as believers now, the temple is not where God resides. We are where God resides. And so this whole idea about this to me is he's building a temple that is more beautiful, more glorious than this actual building that they're talking about. No rock can compare to the idea that God has for the glory of this temple. Yeah. And then in verse 9, he says, and in this new house, I will give you peace. Mm -hmm. Well, we all know that there is no peace outside of us if there's turmoil inside of us. Mm So if we don't have the inside of us, the temple of the Holy Spirit, not in order, there isn't peace. So when we build that temple, when we take care to put all of the beauty into that temple, when we have the things that he talks about here, and he's like, I'm going to rattle the nations Mm -hmm. and all of their valuables will be willingly brought to you. I just think that has more to do with our internal life than an external building. The internal life, along with the external project, begins now. That's obvious. This is a now project. They're not stopping. But all the imagery of the things that are going to happen because of this temple or through this temple or through the people that are in this temple seem to have a very long eye. He's not talking about everything that's going to happen next week. He's talking about kingdoms rising and falling and armies clashing and failing Mm -hmm. to conquer Jerusalem. He's saying a very large scope of history ahead they can't even fathom yet. Yeah. When you have a country that you look at what's left of it, the people may have responded and come back, like we talked about last week, economically and socially. They've rebuilt themselves. But the ruins of the first take on Israel, the kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdoms being wiped out, the glories of all that before that have not returned with this. So there's still people that are probably in disagreement about what is the purpose of even being a country, of even being Israel anymore. We're still an occupied territory. We're doing this for the king that's going to be ruling over us from all the way over in Persia. There's a lot of conflict, inner turmoil that's going on about not just the what they're doing, but the why. Why would God call us to go do this fantastic project and plant in our minds this idea of it being just as good as it was before? Because this is not it. It's a pile of rubble that we're reconstituting into walls. So now they're probably having to deal with what does it mean to even be successful? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of those self-criticisms and doubts creeping in here. And it's not just about the devil trying to derail them. It's that they're human. And they're looking at the work of their hands saying, is this all I can show for it? God has just shown them before that all the work of their hands they thought was going to bring great results didn't. All the things you see now, which don't seem to be amounting to much of anything, I say is going to amount to things you can't even fathom yet. Mm -hmm. So God is looking at what the work of their hands is, and he's not just saying, keep at it until I'm satisfied. He's in modern parlance saying, I believe in you. Keep going, because what's coming out of this you can't imagine yet, but I know. Mm -hmm. It's worth it. I know in my own life, when I have labored and labored and labored at something, 
and not even begin to see the results of it. Yeah. It is frustrating mm-hmm. on one level and overwhelming on another level in that if you believe very strongly that God has called you to a specific work and you don't see a result for years and years, which many missionaries we know mm-hmm. have expressed that kind of return for their labor. Yeah. Some of the greatest missionaries of all time that we revere, like Adoniram Judson, other people that went to the far east of Asia that planted seeds that didn't bear fruit until like three, four, five generations later, Mm -hmm, much mm -hmm. longer than the time frame we're talking about with the Israelites here. Mm -hmm. But they did bear fruit in the context of God's economy and his calendar. But the people who planted the seed never saw the result of that. In their lifetimes. In their lifetimes. And so I think that Maybe they don't understand quite in this situation that that's what God is doing here. Mm. He's planting a seed. Even further in in the chapter, he talks about you planted all this stuff and you planted these crops. You came to scoop grain. You came to dip for wine and there wasn't as much as you thought there was supposed to be there. And so you're wondering what is happening. I know I planted all the seed. Is there a seed left? No, there's not a seed left. You planted everything that you were supposed to plant. This is not just metaphors either. Last chapter, there was a sense of God's got to take care of my business if I'm going to take care of his. Mm -hmm. God says, come build my temple. Do all the hard work. Go travel far distances and bring back all this wealth to build my temple. They have to trust that they're doing the right thing, that God moved us to do this. But now Mm -hmm. there's not much to show for it. There's not a second season to plant in. Are we heading into a winter of discontent here where we may starve because we served God? Mm. I'm sure they're going through that in their minds during this, because the month this revelation came in was before the harvest. Mm -hmm. If you're right before the winter is coming on and you don't know how you're going to survive it, every doubt, the cumulative test of your faith about what you did for God and why you did it is being put to the test. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a regular occurrence in the lives of many of us. Yeah. <laughs> For me, it is anyway. <laughs> so again, what does the word of God come to them to tell them? Not just that you're doing a good job and that I believe in you, but I am with you in this. Mm-hmm. And I am aware that you've already planted the very last thing you can plant. You mm-hmm. have nothing left to plant literally in the ground. You have nothing left emotionally to mm-hmm. figuratively plant in wow. the soil of your country. I know this. I'm still proud of you. I believe in you, and I'm not giving up on you. I am with you, even in your doubts. See, this speaks really deeply to me, Mm. because I know that there have been many times throughout the course of my life that I feel so strongly that I have planted the last seed, Mm -hmm. that there is nothing left to give over, to plant, to to bury in that dirt. And it's really hard to trust Mm. when you feel desperate. When you feel like you've gone to the last mile, Mm. it's hard to trust. And yet God says, don't be discouraged. At the very beginning of this chapter, he says this to them, to Joshua and to Zerubbabel and to those who once again live in the land. Don't be discouraged. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Three times in verse four, it says, be strong. Yeah. Be strong is not just about physical strength. It is conviction. Mm -hmm. It is believing and stepping in that belief, which is faith, Mm -hmm. which is faithing, Mm -hmm. you know, acting out your belief that what you say matters, what God said to you matters. Well, he goes back to another Joshua, hundreds of years before this, where he says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. 
And that's what he's saying again right here to this Joshua and to Serubal and to the others who have just come back from exile. Be strong and courageous. I'm with you. I am the Lord your God, the commander of heavenly armies, and I'm going to do all of this battle that you cannot see. The last item I want to cover is the issue of the filed sacrifices. And the reason why is because we're talking about internal things versus external things. Being defiled, according to the word, is something that can be corrected. If you've been defiled by something, there is opportunities for repentance, for cleansing, for renewal, for restoration, for resurrection. Those things are provided for in the Word of God, and there are examples of all those things over all those years. There's never an example of holiness being rubbed off Hmm. and applied like makeup, and it becomes holy because it touched. I think the reason that God is bringing it up here when asked this question to them, he's not just asking the question of the priests for the sake of him knowing what the law is or that they know it. It's so that the rest of the people in the nation can hear what the priests say Mm. about what the law says. God's putting an instructive moment for the average run-of-the-mill citizen of this country. Are you defiled by what touches you? said, well, yeah, but it's not the end of the story. And can you be made holy and pure and solid in every way just by touching something, letting it rub up against you? The answer is no. It's got to go deep. So I think God is saying, be transformed. You know, let what is holy, the work of the Holy Spirit, do what it's got to do in you so that all of you can do what all of you must do. Mm -hmm. And what I'm calling you to do, what I require of you because of my purposes. He's saying, think about the things that are valuable and the things that only God can create in you, the things that he can only plant in you in his way and that only he can water in you. Mm. You know, let him be holy and treat him like he's holy and let him work on you from the inside out so that the rest of the things have hope that even those who are the farthest away from God, even those who have given the least or have the, the greatest sin among you can still come back and say, I'm defiled but I give myself as a sacrifice, even a burnt sacrifice if necessary. I don't want to miss out. Mm. I don't want to miss out on what God has for me and for that's this good. nation. Yeah, that's good. So I think he's going at those issues by talking about something that's very literal and physical. And again, those literal and physical symbols were figurative of deeper spiritual truths, yeah. always have been. Yeah. So where are we trying to rub on a veneer mm-hmm. of success or of hope and faith and respectability or holiness or self-righteousness when God wants to go and do the deep things that no one else is going to see, but you know he's doing in your heart. Mm -hmm. And where do we allow ourselves to feel defeated, defiled, drawn away, or canceled out simply because of external circumstances? God's saying, get them in right order. Let's deal with you on the inside. Let's deal with the world on the outside. Yeah. And that's all we got for chapter two. And there's only two chapters in this amazing letter. We're going to go back and review this thing with a little more critical eye on certain key points in each chapter in our following program. And thank you so much Mm. for joining us on today's Compassion Radio, Chasing the Word in the Book of Haggai. Did you give us freedom so we could do whatever we want? Did you shed your blood so we could abuse your grace for us? Is our liberty meant to be only for ourselves? You gave it all. How can we thank you, God? If we have only one life to live, would 
We're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. 1-800-868-2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. God bless, and we'll see you tomorrow.